Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. to the Go to Hell podcast, Strong Opinions Weekly Held about Christianity, the Church, and Faith. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we today? Um, I don't like your opener. <laughs> you don't like wow. the NPR? No, I, I mean, it was, it was good, I guess. Uh, it's I'm, how I feel today, and I'm not apologizing. <laughs> I am wet. Uh, California has been getting some really nice rainfall. It's been great for us. It's not been great for a lot of our infrastructure uh, across the state. Um, but uh, it's been good. But meanwhile, I think I've gotten acclimated to the whole like drought stuff. So I'm like, man, I could really go for some sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm tired of this rain. Uh, especially when you have to like be out on a pool deck for two hours, just standing in the rain and just getting drenched. That's kind of how it's been for me at the moment. So, <laughs> uh, but other than that, I've been pretty good. How about you, Tim? How's your week been? I'm in a mood. <laughs> Fair enough. We uh, got we got that from your opener, but yeah, I just there are things going on at work and elsewhere, and then just the whole bank situation and people getting bailed out again and I, I i'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole but we folks we live in a banana republic and i keep saying i'm gonna check out and i think i am it's just i'm going to watch the west wing and every night and pretend that's the news and just feel good about watching at least a pretentious uh arrogant but intelligent and halfway competent person instead of the questionably intelligent completely incompetent, arrogant people that we have actually running things in real life. So, yeah, so that's me. Yeah, the bank thing, that was crazy. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here at this point. Um, I think it starts there, and problems are going to... They said that they prevented a domino effect. I'm, I think six months to a year from now, we'll see if they actually stopped any dominoes from falling, so... I think it'd be interesting to see. So, I heard a stat today that'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. So the FDIC is the one who's supposedly doing the bailing out. Right. They have, I believe, I believe the number is two hundred billion dollars in on hand in deposits for their to to do what they're supposed to do, which they're doing in this case, but. Actually, it's only for up to $250,000, but we're just blitzing right past that law and just doing it for everybody. The entire banking system has something like $13 trillion in liquidity and outstanding. So that means the FDIC has, I, the number I heard was 1.4, that only has 1.4% of monies to handle what the U.S. banking system has now, they can't. You can't have thirteen trillion dollars sitting in reserves in case things happen. But one would want to be closer to say ten, fifteen percent, and feel better about it. So yeah, this is all a big house of cards that's coming down. So mm, yeah, when we got to today, this week's problem because too many people are manipulating the system to continue to make money with the system instead of letting uh one of the key core uh one we this is not a capitalistic system based on today capitalism one of the dirty little secrets of capitalism is for people to lose their shirt and this is now another example on top of 2008 and others where we just don't let people lose their shirt anymore and then 10 years later we go well hell spells how'd that happen again because people don't learn their lessons because you don't make them learn their lessons so 
Soapbox over. We don't like to get political on this show, so. Well. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I am not uh, being political. (laughs) I know. Democrats and conservatives can both go to hell on this one. So uh, Democrats, conservatives, uh, Republicans, progressives, they're all in on it. No one's any better. So they can all go to hell. What are we drinking? Well, we live in a society. And so we're drinking some Societe tonight. Um, a nice little double IPA. It's only an 8.5%. Um, I was on a TikTok earlier and somebody was upset that IPA drinkers, and so maybe that's you out there. Um, maybe you don't listen to this podcast because you know that we drink IPAs. Um, they were like, why is it that they care about the ABV so much? Nobody cares about ABV. Um, you don't when you're drinking Coors Light and it's like three and a half percent or. Four. I was like, listen, I we don't drink. I it was like, people. Well, and their argument was people drink to get drunk. Just drink to get drunk. Well, I don't drink to get drunk, so. That's right. We drink because we enjoy beer. We want to taste different flavors, that kind of thing, and uh, and we just happen to like the bitter profile of hops, and so that's what we're tasting. Uh, this one is called the Roustabout. Oh man, and honestly, it's delicious. I think I'll have another can. It does not taste like. Thank you, thank you, Tank. Thank yes, you. Tank concurs. He says, "Here, here," and um, it's very tasty. Society has got some really good stuff. Apparently, we're not even drinking what they're like known for. There's like, they've got an award-winning beer. Yeah, I think they're drink. known for non-IPAs. Actually. Yeah, no, yeah, but their IPAs are delicious. They're more so. of like a. I think they're known for like Belgian style abbey beers i don't remember me and alec tried it when we were in san diego um i'm not saying that it wasn't good it's just not my flavor profile i wouldn't be a fair judge of it i think that a lot of porters and stouts taste the same so because i think that's what it was all right any cleanup tonight clean up on aisle five you gotta say for yourself this time you gotta clean up on aisle four Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle five. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up in all the aisles. Oh, wow. We have a cleanup. So let's revisit the, uh, what what I've been affectionately calling crackpot, uh, Colton's crackpot theory about uh, reading levels and reading the Bible. Hmm. So I actually found a list. Oh, well, geez. there's several lists. Well, we're, we're also going to... Of... This is going to take a couple of minutes, guys, because I may have to explain a couple of things. So, let, no, but yeah, let's go. So you, you're aware of what I'm going to talk about? I have a guess, but yeah, go. Okay. No, I mean, I think I do. I got a guess. So there's, only... uh, so there's various... People have... Different translations. Diff- have rated graded different translations they've applied the proper grade level to various translations so for instance i'm looking at one list and king james and rsb are at uh, 12th grade level nsrv and nasb are at 11th esv is 10 blah 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 nirv is at a third grade level ncv which i've never heard is third grade level and message is four to five right there's a much more extensive well this is extensive just because it's got a lot more but it also includes ages so the mounts translation which i've never heard of 12 uh 12th grade very similar 12th grade age of 17 over uh, king james 12 and over and then same at the bottom in in nl nlrv or nirv Three plus ICB three plus NCV three plus message fourth grade nine ages nine up so assuming I'm gonna wait for Colton's rebuttal but assuming this is a helpful list and maybe there's at least somewhat uh, kernel of truth to it maybe churches should be looking at translations that are more accessible rather than ones they quote unquote like based on quote unquote 
the literal literalness of the translation. Yeah, I think. Well, I think there's merit in that statement. I think that don't be dedicated to the King James version. That's not even. You're gonna find that language has developed so much further down the line that the King James version really actually doesn't do justice to the literal interpretation of the Bible. Well, um, it gets "Thou shalt not kill" wrong. It it well, it gets "Thou shalt not murder" wrong. It says "kill," which has created this great like confusion within the culture. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot. There's some other ones too that are kind of mistranslated. Yeah, there's, um, and that's not. <sighs> So the hard part and the, the the argument that I would make here is, one, I, th- I do agree with your statement. I think that when it comes to Bibles and when you pick up one and, and what you're looking for is you should be looking for one that's more accessible. Um, you need that for yourself. Uh, if it's the only thing you've got, it's the only thing you've got. But for yourself, for you personally, you should start off with something accessible. And then once you've gotten used to the literature, then I would probably encourage you to go get one of those uh, study Bibles um, that are approved, which is the R- NRSV, um, the New Revised Standard Version. Those are usually what colleges require from you. They have, um, the, again, it has that apocrypha down at the bottom that can help you and make references to, and it'll also give you lots of historical information as you read through that. Um, so get an NRSV study Bible. That's what I'd highly recommend to anybody that ever read scripture because and then make sure that when you read the scripture you also read the apocrypha down at the bottom because that's going to give you a lot of context um into what it is that's being talked about and that kind of stuff it's almost like it's literally a textbook associated with your bible so um but again that's for a more advanced reader who's looking for more information um, if you're just picking up a Bible, um, I'd try to get one of those that, like Tim said, is a bit more accessible. Now, the hard part when it comes to uh, reading levels is, and this is something that I think we covered briefly, but um, it's worth noting again, is reading levels is based solely on vocabulary. And that wasn't and that was initially what sparked the the conversation um, was this idea of reading levels, which we associate with all of our students and that kind of stuff. But then it also um, so it it just takes vocabulary. So that's why you see that the message is down at like a fourth grade reading level. That's why the King James Version is at a which is actually surprising for me personally. Yeah. I, I, I thought King James was probably going to rank somewhere in like the ninth grade reading really? level. The reason why is not because it's, is because I know who wrote the King James version and Shakespeare is considered a ninth grade reading level. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, oh, that, that's fair. My, so you're okay. You're that's fair. Cause I would say it's the least accessible, but it's not because of the rating level. It's because it uses a style of English that nobody. Oh, for sure. It's like reading a different language. Right. But that's also why I have. That's that's correct. You're correct that that's different from a reading comprehension level. It's just just outdated. It's uh, antiquated language style. Right. And remember, so like, and this is also something that I tell students in my classes. So students in my English classes and most people around the world believe that Shakespeare is at a higher level, which is hilarious, right? There's this idea of this Shakespearean, it's an elevated form, it's in this art form that we should appreciate and that kind of stuff, which is hilarious because if you live during Shakespeare's time, All of his works are made for the working man. It's correct. It is not. It was a stroke of genius by Queen Elizabeth to have all of these these bards and these uh, these these thespians come in and distract the working class when it came to plays. And that's why all of the plays talk about how shitty life is at the top. Right, you have Romeo and Juliet, these star-crossed lovers that are from these royal families, and and yet their life is miserable. They yeah. make all this money, but yet, oh, man, they need love, and then they kill themselves. And it was actually this whole form of propaganda to actually 
make people that were of the working class sit there and say, hey, my life is shitty, but it's not as shitty as that. It's really funny. You see it all over the place. King Lear, uh, Julius Caesar, Hamlet. Like Richard it doesn't. The Richard yeah, the Third. It doesn't. Henry the Fifth. End well for royalty. As soon as you see a royal person, and you're just like, man, that guy's fucked. Like, right. um, and so it's just really funny. So when people, and so all of the com- the there's a ton of comedy that's throughout them. But that's from uh, the, mostly from the common man. There's that's, that's, slapstick. That's Rose, it's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. It's from, right. It is it is low hanging fruit of right. slapstick <laughs> comedy is what is actually happening in these plays. But because it's a language that we don't really understand, we're just like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so elevated and elegant but it's not it's not right and that's kind of how we feel about the king james version where again this was a bible that was supposed to be accessible um and so it's <laughs> and we want this real bible that's that is the most accurate bible with all of these guys um and so they create this bible for the king james version and you get uh <laughs> and you get this uh writing of it and so Yes, it is extremely difficult to understand. I don't think that that's like again. This is something where it's like teaching Shakespeare to ninth graders is is kind of it, it's like teaching them a new foreign language, and that's kind of what it is with the King James version. So it's not helpful. But again, understanding that when it comes to reading level itself, it's based solely on vocabulary. Now the problem that I have with that is again, you could read something like so when it comes to that, reading a book like Genesis. That's fairly simple for you. You can read through Genesis. You could, yeah. You can read through uh, First and Second Samuel. You can read through Joshua. You can read through Judges. You can read through those books of the Bible, J- Job even. Okay, and it's telling a story, and that's fairly good. That's where that kind of works. Where the where the text is saying what it's saying, and that is what you're supposed to take from it. But the problem is, is that there are skills that are associated with other books that you need to have fully developed in order enough to read those. That is like the book of Revelation. We would still say that the Gospels, as we had in our conversation the first time that we read it, where the, all of the parables and the symbolism and all that kind of stuff, yeah, the Jesus connections. seems like he contradicts himself sometimes. Right. As Christians, we say he doesn't. But, you know, he says these strange things like the harder for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And, oh, what does that mean? Right. Um, Daniel, I mean, people can read the epistles. Um those are also ones that those are a lot more accessible, um, but you need to understand context in order enough to read those. So you need to do a lot of history. And that's, that's the main point of what your the problem is, is if you don't have a pretty extensive reading level and understand nuance and finding out what the context of what you're reading is, there's a lot of context that needs to be understood with the bible which has frankly led a lot of christianity astray because they just they've been told this is all literal so when i read uh something from the old testament that seems fantastical that or or god smote someone in jeremiah's name then oh god must have done that no that's what you and i grew up believing but with some understanding and some digging it you find out, oh, there's actually another view of this. Well, that's why I recommend to anybody that's looking for more. I, I'd recommend anybody that's reading the Bible, you need more context. And I'm not saying that like these people are be-all, end-all on a lot of subjects, but they give you a lot of context, and they'll help you see large, big picture. So if you go through the Bible Project's Read Scripture app, for, their app is completely designed for your, you to be able to read the entire Bible in a year. Um, and through their project, they have lots of videos that they've created that explain different parts. Um, they're really accessible. They're um, kind of like the little like sketching um, on like a on like a whiteboard kind of stuff. Um, it's really fun to help you kind of see the big picture. They'll zoom out and show you how all of that kind of intertwines and connects. And they do a lot of explaining of kind of what each of the stories mean or what is going on and why this is important. Um, what is the context? What is the historical significance of this, that, and the other? 
They are phenomenal. I recommend them to everybody. Um, go look if if you're looking on your phones. I was like, go to your the app store, and you're looking to find a good personal buddy. Look up the Read Scripture app. It's it's the best one out there. Um, don't do the Bible app. I mean, the Bible app is good and that kind of stuff, but it's the it's it's not what if you're looking for like a daily devotional type thing. Oh, it's it's pretty. It's pretty weak sauce. What the Bible? The, Bi- the Bible app I find it to be pretty weak sauce. It's it's pretty standard. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I mean, like, if that's what you're looking for, you know, whatever. But what I say is, take a look at the Read Scripture app. It also gives you you will the way that it breaks it down is you will read all of this. You will read every, You will read this, their section that they have for you, and one psalm. And you will go through the Psalms twice, and you will read through the entirety of the Bible in one year. So, um, and then it also asks you to reflect in prayer and do all that kind of stuff at the end. So, um, and again, there's videos that are associated with it with each section. So, a lot of a lot of good stuff there, a lot of good context, and they can teach you really a lot about that stuff that we're kind of getting at, where you need context and understanding, being able to. Because sometimes people don't pick up on symbolism or they don't pick up on the metaphors that the person is trying to say. And so these people are experts that are like, hey, this is what they're saying and gives you something to think about. So that's one last thing on this. And then we won't talk about this subject for quite a while, if ever. If you are someone who does read at a pretty high level, you know your Bible inside and out. And yet the concepts that we've been talking about throughout this podcast and tonight of... The Old Testament not being some literal historical document, but really an under uh, ancient people struggling to understand who God is and what he does, or the other things about the Bible that you've been told are literal. Uh, you dive into the resources that Colton's talking about. And even if you don't believe at the end of the day and you want to stick to uh, the Bible's literal, everything that it says, it means, that's fine, I get it. Uh, I've had encounters with very close people to me, and they've, they've made it clear. If you know you start tinkering with the worldview I've grown up with about Christianity and the Bible, this whole thing... Goes kaput. It might, it, it might go kaput, and I take them... Look, I value that. The the same Bible we're quoting also makes it clear: don't make other Christians stumble. So I don't need to go if if your version of Christianity that I think is a bit too simplistic is working for you, stick to it. I would just ask that you dig in and open yourself up to different inter- interpretations of Revelation and understanding that the church for two thousand years has largely had a different interpretation of revelation than probably any christian christian evangelical or even christian protestant uh, is familiar with just so you're a little less there's a little less hubris when you deal with other people who don't share that view who call themselves christians and you've been led to believe that no Bible believer would think that way. That's the only reason why I ask that. It, if it doesn't change your mind, that's fine. It's just uh, when I had to do that with my study of Revelation, when I was doing a college class, not a college class, but leading a college group, it was really important to read all of these other viewpoints that the church had had about revelation that I wasn't really familiar with because I'd grown up within the dispensation viewpoint of revelation. So, all right. So last week, on to the main topic. On the main topic. We're going back to existential we questions. back to existential questions. Again, for those of you guys that are kind of unfamiliar with what existential questions are, they are just um, simply questions about our existence. This is uh, when... We talk about philosophers and those questions that they struggled with way back when. And and these are what led to a lot of those works by Aristotle, Socrates, um, Plato. Uh, and they continue to be questions that drive us forward. Um, you know, uh, 
uh, John Locke. There's uh, lots of different ones through the ages that have come the, up with their answers to questions, and that's what we continue to struggle with and do for Greeks, ourselves. Voltaire, uh, uh, Nietzsche, a lot of the French... Fl- yeah, so it's a, it's... It's frankly one of those things that seems... Dare I say Marx. No, Marx. No, absolutely. <laughs> Again, it's just how people answer these questions that allow them to come up. And Hobbes, I, yeah, I mean... We highly recommend that anybody that ever listens to this is that you should be struggling with these questions too on a regular basis. Or you should be... You should think about these questions and answer them for yourselves. Okay, and we're going to be answering them for ourselves, and and me and Tim may have disagreements on them. Okay, it doesn't, and and we're coming at it from a faith perspective, and again, me and Tim have the same faith, but where we come at it from different perspectives, we may have different answers. And so, here's the point. Well, yeah, you, you no. made a good point, but we're doing this because, as I said, it is I think genetic. It's either genetic or it is because we've been made in God image, God's image that uh, man, humanity, is constantly asking the what it, what's the meaning of life, what's the purpose of life, these existential questions. Any uh, impactful religion, any impactful philosoph- uh, philosopher has had to deal with that question. If you can't answer those questions either for yourself or more importantly... Somebody else who's not a Christian, you need to, because it's a red flag. If you if someone's a non-believer and you spout them spout at them the gospel and they start asking these fundamental existential questions and you can't answer them, uh, that's not what Christianity's for. It's not to it's not to provide us a get at, get out of jail free card on having to answer the existential question. Yeah. You might provide an answer that the non-believer doesn't agree with, but we've got to be able to answer these questions that we're tackling with. And I think too often Christians just think by paint by numbers, and it is oh, I've we talked about this on the uh, that tie, when we made fun of Ty Gibbs, we really weren't making fun of Ty Gibbs. This is a perfect example where Ty was asked a question, somebody had given him a really bad example of Jesus was booed too as a way of showing that christians get persecuted it comes out of his mouth and he gets mocked regularly particularly by me uh poor ty was mocked mercilessly when we were in vegas but that's what happens when we get to these situations where it's just think by think by paint by number bible says this and here's my answer the bible doesn't answer a lot of these questions it leaves it up to us to think about it and i think that's for a reason so we left off last week at... Yeah, we asked... Uh, we finished off with, will the human race go extinct? Um, which we're going to take a completely left turn um, from there. See, it's not left. Keep... They they still they still go together. Um, see if I can keep my streak going of anticipating the next question. Uh, yeah, you're going to... You're gonna, don't worry, you will. I was <laughs> like, I already know. Um, uh Again, if if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, go back and listen to it. We had a lot of fun with it. That was one of our better ones. Yeah, we enjoyed going through, um, and they are great questions. Uh, the last the last eleven questions that we got asked were the juggernauts of the philosophy course. If you ever took one, you know what are our basic human rights? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? And again, we also talked about what's the difference between those two questions. Uh, tonight we're going to start off, and again, uh, Tim has no idea what's coming. He did try to look up what uh, my uh, he did try to look up and cheat. I found the list just so I could give examples to the show notes last week, but I didn't read anything beyond well. And then I tried to find it again and couldn't find it, so I have no idea what's coming. So tonight, question number twelve: What would make the world a better place, Tim? Oh, well, the Christian answer is if everybody lived like Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Uh, love love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, love God. Have respect for God. Because uh, let's just let's substitute love God for... Let's just 
for argument's sake, sake say respect. Uh, just the general understanding that something else created us. It uh, it provides a level of humility to how we think about the world and what the boundaries are, I think, for what is right and wrong. That might seem like a stretch for some of you, but if you take... If you say there is no God, you quickly go... It's very easy to logically go down the road to... I'm my own God, therefore I set my own rules, which then can lead to all kinds of insanity. Yeah. You just watched... So I'll use an example to show what a good example of, I think, how this works. How your your question works and how my answer works with the question. You just watched Ted Lasso, the TV show. <clears throat> you're you're laughing, but people well people are gonna yeah I know. people are gonna be upset because they know. know that I'm a soccer fan and they're gonna be like what you just watched Ted Lasso oh, okay. I'm sorry so I didn't want so. I didn't want to throw down the money on Apple TV I'm sorry guys uh, I just started rewatching it I don't know for the fifth or sixth time uh, partially anticipation for the new season that I think just dropped tonight it did drop tonight um, I'll probably wait. A couple episodes. I'll probably wait until they completely drops. Is it not completely dropped right off the bat? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. If it is, I'll be watching it this weekend. If not, I mean, uh, okay. Put aside. Yes, let's just put aside the things that are verboten. If you're a Jesus follower, the 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 excessive drinking and the sex and the language. And now you know some of you're like, okay, isn't that everything? No, it's really not. It, yes, it's not to be shucked aside. But so much of that show, I'm, I'm bringing this up because Colton and I have had this conversation. So much of that show, other than the physical sins, shall we say, is not by intention. I don't at all think that the guy who plays Coach Beard and Jason, uh, what's his name, they're not Christians in any way. Sedacus. Sedacus. They're not Christians. They're not trying to write a Christian show. But I often find this in secular shows where people who are not Christians write things that are better than what Christians do because they're unintentionally writing a scenario where people are living up to what Jesus called us to do. And we see this in the show where if you haven't watched the show, too bad. And you plan on watching it too late. Owner of the, of the soccer club... Her ex-husband loved it. She goes out for vengeance to ruin the soccer club to make her husband. So it's basically, what do we call that? We call that, as as believers, we call that eye for an eye. She goes out for three quarters of a season uh, engaging in eye for an eye to make herself feel better. And this guy that she hires goes out of his way to treat everyone in, in many ways like a Jesus follower. He... Uh, one, he's hopeful, which we, yeah, everyone's got hope. No, yes, a lot of people who aren't Christians have hope, but that is a fundamental tenet, which we haven't really talked about on this podcast yet, of Christianity. He had the, the last episode of the first season is all about this town believing in it's the hope that's going to kill you. And he comes in and says, no, it's the hope that saves you. I'm sorry. That is unintentionally a very Christian belief. It's hope that keeps us going. Right. She finally, after being blackmailed into admitting what she does, goes in, apologizes. And he says, "I he, he again, it's a very proper Christian way he handles it. He says, I forgive you. He doesn't say, no big deal. It's okay. He, he says very firmly to her, looking her in the eyes, I forgive you. And then he goes on to talk about, because he's going through a divorce, how divorce does crazy things, and she doesn't know how to handle being forgiven like this. Right. But she quickly learns to handle it and falls in love, and the longer this guy is in all these people's lives, he brings hope and joy and cheer and forgiveness and making each one better and wanting to love one as one would want to be loved. Loving a uh, a very talented soccer player who doesn't like him, continuing to love him like a father would 
when this kid's father treats him like shit to where this kid finally figures out, oh, this is what a meaningful, like, mentor relationship is supposed to be. Right. That's what the world would look like if we all lived that way. Right. Yeah, I think I think that Tim has it. I, I'm not even, like, saying that it's the... I don't. Tim started off with it's the Christian answer. I. I just think that our best, um, when we are at our best, when humanity is at their best, and I think that anybody, regardless of you're a Christian or not, you feel it too. Is that when we are at our best, is when we love one another. Everybody feels it. I was like, we got to see it even this last weekend. Um, everybody likes this feel-good story with the Oscars. You got to see um, kind of some redemption arcs, and so you feel love um, and and this excitement um, for uh, what's his name, the guy who did uh, or the, the I think he's he keeps winning the Oscar, but it's like for what the support roles, right? It's he was just a supporting actor in Everything Everywhere All at Once, right? Oh, uh, Brandon Fraser, I think it was Brandon Fraser. Was it well, Brandon, Brandon was he in Everything Everywhere All at Once? I don't know. But it's I, on my it, list of t- movies to see, I haven't seen it yet. There's lots. There was lots of good feel-good moments that where people were excited, and there were there was good moments where again we felt moved or whatever. And this is just from an awards show. Um, I didn't watch it, but I had seen people's reactions to it. And so, and again, when we're talking about Ted Lasso, where it's like you root for Ted. Why do you root for Ted? Because the term is, even with all of this other stuff going on, what you have is you have this very wholesome person who's just showing constant love um, the entire time. So, uh, which is amazing. And, and I think just love is the important essence of, again, of us, where we are at our best when we love other people. So... That's what I have. On I'll, g- I'll give you one more example since you brought up the uh, Oscars. This those this is like ten years old, but the video was making its rounds about two weeks ago. I don't know why, uh, but it resurfaced and was hitting a lot of algos, as they call them, in on uh, YouTube. And it's a clip of Robert Downey Jr. at I think the. Bamf Awards, the British one of the British oh, award shows. Oh, and with uh, with Mel Gibson. With Mel Gibson, yeah, that was where great. he wins an award. And what happened? Apparently, at this show, you can pick who your who's going to be your presenter. And so he picked Mel. And based on when the video was and what uh, what he talks about, this is clearly around one of Mel's times where. The his alcoholism got the best of him, and whatever it is down deep inside that makes him say anti-Semitic things had bit him in the ass once again. And so Downey accepts the award and basically says, "I wonder what you're probably wondering why I got Mel here presenting it. It's because when I got ran out of Hollywood because of all of my problems, because he had substance abuse problems, I think he ended up in like the room of a nine-year-old girl or something in Malibu." <laughs> was like when he hit rock bottom uh, that Mel called him up, had a role that was meant for Mel, gave it to Robert so he could keep uh, food on the table. And Robert says, what do I got to do to pay you back? And he says, next time, it, when when it happens to somebody else, help them out. And then Downey Jr. makes a joke and says, who would have thought that it'd be Mel himself? And so... Everyone laughs, but they're showing the room, and you can see all these really uncomfortable people laughing because they're supposed to hate this guy because he's an anti-Semite, even though I probably, you know, worked with him for many years and thought he was a cool guy. And they're... and he basically tells everyone, get over it. I, he literally says, uh, this is the room where we can't throw stones, so get over it. Welcome, welcome him back and has him come out on stage and gives him a hug. And it's... <laughs> Those kind of moments always get me. Oh, for sure. Again, it's... 
And I hope that for us, we're, and this is what we were talking about, where it's like we need to allow people to bounce back. We've talked about this, where we need to show love to people and say, hey, you need to have the opportunity to come back from this. Again, we're on the Oscars, and I think it's just hot on the tongue. (laughs) My wife called me out yesterday. I I don't really feel called out by it. I think this one is still a little too fresh. I mean, I'm still is the 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 slap from Will Smith. The hard part is, and I think Jimmy Kimmel actually this last week uh, hit the nail on the head when he goes, uh, if any of you come up and smack me, uh, we have protocols set in place where you will win the Best Actor of the Year award, <laughs> and then we will proceed to let you have a 19-minute speech. To where, again, we just let it happen. People sided with Will. And I don't, and even if Will is banned from the Academy, whatever the hell that means, yeah, Will is still going to have a very prosperous career moving yeah. forward. Yeah. There's no serious repercussions. He gets some backlash or whatever from from people around the world, but it's not, he's not going to face any serious issues. I'm sure there's plenty of people behind the scenes telling him Chris Rock deserved it. He's a loud mouth. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and so, but if you are of the type, because my wife thought that I was of the type that I don't think that Will Smith can come back from that. I think that Will Smith can, and I hope that he does. I think right now is a tough time. I mean, Chris Rock's comedy uh, stand-up came out, Ooh. and he talked about he talked about the slap for a I think it's only like three minutes long. It's only his, three or four minutes. It's only it's three or four end. of the entire time, which but he also brings up weird stuff. And it was like, I, I didn't quite like it, to be honest with you. It was just kind of. I, it was self-deprecating enough to where I was. Uh, like, but he, but he brings up, uh, he brings up weird things about Will and Jada and their sex life to kind of deflect it. So, so you say that he brings up that to deflect it. You say weird, but I don't know. Everybody that paid attention to the internet because it was a meme for a long no, time. I, no, I know. I know, but, but one Was that need... entanglement thing was like, yes, everybody, and he was... But yeah. one doesn't need to bring it up is my point. Just... I guess. He was, he was very self-deprecating, though. He, he said, yes, that you're damn right that it, it, it hurt. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I... Yeah. He's like, they picked this guy to play Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so funny. And then he said he was... Uh, what, some corn nut or yeah, whatever? Yeah, corn, corn nut or corn <laughs> Yeah, or whatever. That was funny. Uh, yes, I, I think he did a little self, self-deprecation, and then it was what it was. Um, I think Will has to learn to take that one on the chin. You have to sit there and say, all right. And also, Chris now needs to move past it to where it's, you know, this is kind of where it has to be. And I know, we, why are we talking about this whole celebrity fiasco well, let's hope and all that kind of stuff? Let's hope there's for, uh, apologies in Scientology. So, I'm hoping that both of these gentlemen are able to move past it and eventually, hopefully, someday move on. And, and for those of you that are on one side or the other... Again, show love to the other person and hope that they can bounce back. Again, you may sit there and think that Chris Rock was petty for what he just did a year later. There may be those of you that say that Chris Rock should have never slapped him and that was completely ridiculous and that should never ever happen. And I completely understand both sides, but I'm saying that we need to be able to show both of these guys love and say that, hey, they can come back from this. This is something that, again, we with celebrities, it's hard. We have to see the drama of their lives play out for forever. Um, and so you are always going to be able to criticize and and shun them for what it is that they do. One last thing on that, and then we'll move on to the next question. You you mentioned if I think you phrased it as if they ever reconcile. I think they will. Hollywood, particularly at their circles, is too tight knit for them not to patch things up. My challenge would actually be to anyone listening to this is when it happens. Don't be cynical of, oh, it's just it's just for ratings and blah, 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 blah. 
I'm not saying that it might be, but I think as Christians, we need to take those moments and just celebrate them as what they appear to be, not be cynical, not to read things into it that we're not aware of, and just say, doesn't matter, Someone's someone has buried the hatchet, they've reconciled, that's what we're supposed to celebrate. Whether you like Will Smith or don't, whether you like Chris Rock or both, or dislike both of them, this is where Christians need to get out of their own way and just say, no, it's great. They did what, what we're all called to do, which is bury the hatchet and move on. So, yeah, because I think we do that a lot of times because we get in, we get immersed in the culture and we get, you know, I don't like this person. I like it because of whatever reason. And and it's very easy for us to be cynical, particularly when it comes to politics or yeah, 100%. Uh, Hollywood to be cynical. And, oh, they're just pretending to be what we think is important. Let's let's not be cynical. Let's take it if 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 it's all kabuki theater in order to sell tickets and uh, make movies, that's between Will Smith and Chris Rock and God. That's not my problem. Right. My problem is what's between me and God is being cynical about what might be a sincere act or even if it's just a pretend act say this is how one is supposed to model reconciliation. Yeah. Well, you ready for the next one? I'm ready. Can we cue uh, some music for this? Sure. What it's Night at the Roxbury because our second question of the night is, what is love? What is love? So, uh, we just Ooh, talked about... We just a loaded one. Right, so we just talked about um, what would make the world a better place, and Tim, again, keeping up with his trend, said that love, Jesus, the way that Jesus loved, is the answer, and I said it too, so the question is, what is love? All right, Tim, what is love? This is truly a Christian existential question, because... Hey, you know what I'm excited about is that I don't... You know, if you actually are able to do this, yeah. get to the next question, I'm going to be extremely impressed because I, I mean, now I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just like, if you get to the next question, I'm going to be impressed. Because I don't think we're going to take this question. Well, it's in the not direction one the thing, one. right? It's not, you can't say it's one thing. It's, well, I'm just saying that I think that there's a way of. I'm, look, dude, I'm not even trying to. Com- no, I know, I know. I, I, but I'm saying that I, I think that the way that we're gonna take this conversation is completely the opposite direction. This, this website is very good at connecting them as they go through. I think that the way we're gonna take this is in a different direction than where they're going. So, um, okay, I'm gonna give you the cheap, the cheap, cheap love. That's what you're gonna get. Cheap, us? dirty answer. Oh, boy, dirty, dirty and love. That's 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 a wrong. That's not good phrasing. Uh, I'm still giving myself whiplash over the whole like what is love bit. So I would say my first simple answer is. Oh yeah, wow, that was real simple there, Tim. I'm trying to phrase it. Oh okay. We agree. It's a, it's it's a way of acting, right? It's not. We're we're avoiding the whole Cupid. It's okay. My first answer is it's dying to oneself. Okay. <laughs> I have no way way to judge your reaction to that. So it's not what I was gunning up with. I don't know. I stumped you. No, no, I'm just I'm like that. Not what I was gonna go with. Okay, okay. Okay. L- let me okay. let me deal with the low hanging fruit first, okay. and then I'll get back to the. Dying to oneself. So Which is one way of just saying it's selfless, I guess. The extreme way of saying that is uh, selflessness is dying to oneself. The cheap answer, the cheap way I think Christians have tried to dem- quote-unquote demonstrate their love, which is just a way of being judgmental or religious, is calling one sins this, the sins out of other people so they don't run afoul of Jesus. That is not an act of love, although sometimes that is warranted. We just don't often do it in a loving way. 
I think often, well, it's not ever a loving thing if you do it to some stranger, which is what we do a lot of. But sometimes, uh, sometimes it is being loving and pointing someone out that they're, uh, I'm not going to use an example, pick an example, just they're doing something that doesn't fall in line with what being a Jesus follower is. Man, it's hot in here. Is it me or is it just the question? Okay. You better, are you, dang. One of us was not in the rain tonight. That's what, that's what the thermostat is about the register. I'm, I'm very comfortable. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Does, can you love certain people more than others? No, we're not supposed to. What about your wife? <laughs> I, I would say you love your wife differently, but I don't know if it's it's more. Okay, so let's get back to what. Look, folks, if you're listening, this is this is what happens when you're hit with existential questions you've never thought about. So, so let's go back to twenty weeks ago when we did the. Uh, the guy breaks into your house. You're supposed to love him, but he's coming oh, in. Asshole. <laughs> but he's coming to, you know, uh, assault. I'm not going to, like, go to where everybody else goes, but he's coming to assault uh, your wife. Um, do you love them both <laughs> in the same way? Well, I mean, like, do you love one Jesus more? Jesus doesn't say we're supposed to love our wives and children any more than anybody else, but I don't know that he didn't say anything about it doesn't mean he doesn't expect <laughs> us to be human and do that, so. So are you saying that actually the love that you feel for your wife is actually just hormones, but you love everybody else the well, same? Well, that's you certainly... Just, you just don't have the hormones anybody, <laughs> for them? If, if, if there are non-believers listening to this, that should be your answer if you're mocking me is, yes, it's just the simple pheromones that are, or uh, something else that's firing off either within your brain or somewhere else that's just some physiological or chemical thing and it's not real at all. Oh boy. Well, I guess one could say the quotation I, I there is the again the Bible sometimes speaks in contradictions. I know some of you don't believe that, but Paul tells us not to get married, which he doesn't really mean that, but he does say that, and then we have this beautiful passage about what marriage is supposed to look like, uh both in the human and Jesus and anthropological relationship. So I guess, oh boy. Mm -hmm. Well, if we're going to be really, if we're going to really dive into this, there's different kinds of love. Sure. I mean, the Greeks have what, how many different words for, for love that that's one of the things that's rough for being someone in English is, we know there's different ver different types of love, but we have to then use a whole bunch of different words to describe what kind of love we're talking about, where the Greeks have very specific words that immediately let you know that you're talking about romantic love, friend-to-friend uh, -friend love. What's what's be another one? Well, you got philios and eros, and where's my... Good Lord, where's my beer? I need it. Oh... You want me to take Yeah, some? dive in because I'm I'm drowning here. I think for me personally is I think that the Greeks had many different words for love, but the love uh the love that I recognize and that I think should be administered is what we talk about as agape love. And that's again for those of you guys that are listening and you've been in church for a long time, this may make you groan. You're just like, mm, I've heard this enough. Again, agape is this word. Again, the only reason why I bring it up is because uh, Tim brought it up with the Greek thing. There's different types of love, and this one is particularly the unconditional 
love. And that's the type of love that you were supposed to share, share for everyone. And my opinion is that there actually isn't many types of love. I think that a lot of the other stuff has to do with hormones, has to do with tribalism. That's, no, that's, that's, that's a really good insight. And so what I think is that that is actually love and the idea of you have to you have to be willing to pursue a relationship with someone regardless of how they feel towards you. That is what love is. So they reject you and yet you still continue to love them no matter what. That is what I feel the word love means, is that you are constantly trying to pursue showing this person care, respect, giving them everything that they can possibly, and, you know, generosity, whatever it is that you have for them. That is what you are, that is what love is that is what we are supposed to do that is something that you do for your wife that is something that you do for your children you are supposed to give that to every single person according to jesus and so through that process that is who or that is what you should be doing i think that yeah there's Oh, and I, I set a trap for Tim with this whole situation again where it's like, yeah, that's really I, – I knew what Tim's answer was going to be and I knew that we could go down this rabbit hole of, again, uh, 20 episodes ago we could have talked about this whole – you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, listen, I, I don't think that tribalism and that kind of stuff and um, and hormones don't play a factor. I'm not – I'm not saying that at all. So if you sit there and say, I love this person that much more. Um, or And what's funny is that kids and even adults are afraid to say what they call the L word. They're afraid to say that they love people. My thing is that you should never ever be afraid to say that you love anybody. Ever. You should love everyone regardless. I think what you're mixing with love is actually just hormones. And people are like, well, you don't mean it or you're not actually going to be there for me and that kind of stuff. And it's like, sure, those people may not love you the way that Jesus loved you because they just don't understand how they're supposed to love you yet. And yet they still will be able to do that. Okay, I don't blame anybody for saying that they love them. They're just misguided or they just don't know. Um, and just because you love somebody for a short time doesn't mean that you love that you didn't love them. You may have been hurt. There are things that, again, we've talked about on the show where psychologically where people may be manipulating you or you may be um, abused over and over again. And loving them doesn't mean engaging with them. That's also a hard thing for us to disconnect as well. It's to where you can be able to forgive them and move on, but they don't have to be a part of your life anymore. Because you have to do what's good for you and for your soul and for your psyche. That is extremely important as well. Do you have anything you want to add, Tim, now? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I, look... I think what I brought up at the beginning, which was dying to oneself, that's kind of the extreme. If one takes loving someone, not everybody in particular, but loving someone to the extreme, that's maybe dying to oneself or somebody. I think you're right. What's funny is I think you and I would say, and and the the atheistic biologists of, out there would agree that the the romantic eros love is really more geared towards just species <laughs> reproduction than it is anything else because you gotta yeah and tribalism is man's sinful love at its worst and we all unfortunately we all including christians buy into that tribalism all the time it, tribalism at the end of the day is one of man's if not man's greatest sin it's everything from a micro level to a macro level it uh, racism is better understood as just being tribalism it is it is a group of people deciding to use some excuse to 
create another group as a set of others because there are scarce resources or we want control over something or what, whatever the reason is. And that's all tribalism is. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Post your comments, questions, criticisms, or an invitation to Hades at gotohellpodcast.substack.com. Hit us up at Twitter at the Go to Hell Pod and Instagram at Go to Hell Pod. Visit us on the web at gotohellpodcast.com. If you don't like to hear the voice of AI, go to hell!